10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Matenda. Live from Qatar, this is the morning break with Dorian Brown. Good morning, Friday morning breakers and shakers. My goodness, do we have a ripper of a show for you today to welcome in the half-term holiday. We're hoping to give you a wee peek behind the curtain of edu podcasting, as well as chewing over what makes excellent teaching. I'm Dorian Brown. It's Friday the 22nd of October. We are L-I-V-E live on Teachers Talk Radio. Grab a coffee or a kombucha and join us via all the usual places and spaces. Live from Qatar. This is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome one and all. Thank you for joining us today on what is a beautiful day for most of us in our school calendars as we can finally now see that light at the end of what has been a very windy tunnel in this first half term. I'm not sure about you, but the first, this first half term has felt a little bit like a full school year in many ways. We are but a few hours away now of being able to down tools, switch off and take stock of where we are and ask ourselves what the heck just happened. Uh, but before we do that, um, if you have that smidgen of untainted working memory, I urge you to just lubricate it once more uh, and join us in this next hour. You will not regret it. Just before I introduce my guest today, though, the customary Susie Dent word of the week is one I think that we all know of. But do we know the etymology of the word oxymoron? Oxymoron is a self-contradicting word or group of words which comes from Greek oxys, meaning sharp, and moros, meaning foolish, which makes oxymoron an oxymoron itself. Every day is an education. It's time to introduce my guest today and get going, and I am so, 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 so honoured to be turning the tables today on Mr. Darren Leslie, the edu podcaster extraordinaire, whose brilliant podcast, Becoming Educated, has been the soundtrack to many long distance cycles for me over the lockdown and continues to be a phenomenal source of professional development and a, a really good mental workout. Um, Darren's podcasting is so professional and I really do wonder how he gets so much in in less than an hour. Uh, I certainly something that I really struggle with on this show, uh, so hoping to get a few pointers from him as well uh, today. He's got a really impressive back catalogue, um, uh, grilling gurus, luminaries and teacher folk on many of the burning issues in education. And on top of all of that, he also works as the principal teacher of learning and teaching in Scotland. So, Darren, I am absolutely stoked to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio. Dorian, it's an absolute pleasure and it's so, so kind of you to speak so highly of, of the podcast. I really do appreciate that. Oh, I mean, absolutely every single word, sir. Um, it, uh, it really has been sort of transformational for me, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it has also been the same uh, for many, many teachers uh, that have tuned in and downloaded the, is it nearly 100 episodes now, I believe? I think I'm on 70, so oh, okay. not far, not far no, away. Not, not, not far, far off. Away. It, feels like, it feels like 100 at times. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, listen, um, I... I, uh, you will probably notice that I, I do listen to your podcast a fair bit by, um, and I'll unashamedly admit it from the beginning here that a few of the questions or the or, or, or the things that you hear, you may recognise a few of them. So I've taken a few um, <laughs> tips from you already. So uh, I'll start off with the first one. With uh, let's just ease gently into the podcast and uh, and let the listeners know a little bit about you. Um, give us about uh, an idea about your journey in education, please, sir. Yes, of, of course. <laughs> it's a very familiar question. Um, <laughs> So I came into teaching a little bit later. Um, I did a, a degree in sports and exercise science and then football club as a football coach. Um, and then my, my desire to, to see more of the world took me to New Zealand and I did some football coaching there. And it was then that I turned to education and decided I wanted to be a teacher of physical education. So I was lucky enough to get a place um, at Edinburgh University and their famed physical education program um, and then that, there began my journey in education. I was very fortunate in my NQT year to get uh, Eyemouth High School 
Um, some listeners may recognise I'm out if they've read The Teaching Delusion by Bruce Robertson. Bruce um, was my deputy head teacher during that time, and in the book he speaks highly of a, of a Colin Richardson, who was my mentor at the time. And Colin's a, a, an absolutely fantastic human being um, who really guided me in my early career, so I was very fortunate. And since then I've, I've taught in a number of schools, um, ultimately leading to where I am now in Belbaxter High School in Cooper in Fife in Scotland as the principal teacher of teaching and learning. Uh-huh. Wow. And uh, I always love hearing people's journey into education because education, they are all really so so different and such a kind of a, a rich tapestry of experiences. And, and normally when I ask that question as well, people always mention a person or people that have actually kind of really kind of Pushed them forward um, and and um, made them perhaps maybe the, the, the teacher they are. Did I, I did stalk a little bit as well? Uh, did you represent Edinburgh University at football as well? Was that your was it football? Uh, yes, I, I played a, I played a little bit of football. Um, I was I was a much better coach than I was a, an actual player. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, a natural teacher in the making then after that. <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome> <laughs> right, cool, great. Thank you very much for that. Um, let's. Uh, uh, move it on now to um, your podcast. Uh, we've mentioned it a little bit in the intro there, um, but it would just be a really nice thing, I think, for um, people that do listen to your podcast and those that don't uh, will be soon. Um, <laughs> give us an idea of how you got into it in the first place, sort of why you do it and how you got into it. It's, it's an interesting one, uh, Dorian, because um, the first idea came to me around about, I think I, I registered Becoming Educates a podcast in November 2019. Mm. Um before I, I wasn't, I wasn't really interested in, in educational research or reading or reading full stop for that matter. Mm. Um, I think my good lady tells me a lot that I never used to read books and now I can't stop. <laughs> um, and then I started reading books and, and a little bit of context. My good lady is a dentist, and I found it fascinating that everything that she did in her working life was was backed by research. It was all best mm. practice, and of course, with everything. It continuously involves, I mean, in her career, things have gotten better. They use different tools, different materials and so on, based on what is best practice. You know, mm. dentistry, like education, has changed significantly over the, the decades and so on. So I find myself, you know, being fascinated by what was out there. And little did I know that people had actually written books about teaching. I was absolutely blown away by the fact that people actually did. And then... I think the first book I read was Making Every Lesson Count by mm-hmm. Sean Allison and Andy Tharby. And I think it was just such a beautiful book because it's a hardback, it's, it's a lovely colour and so well written. And then Pastel and soft, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it certainly is. And then <laughs> I, just start, I just started reading and reading and I, like, I, I went through all the references and just got obsessed with mm. all of it and realised that some of the things, you know, I don't want to speak ill of, of anything or anyone, but some of the mm. things that the kind of ideologies, the, the, what would you call it, the practice that I was using perhaps wasn't the, the best or the best bets. You know, mm. and it, takes, it takes me back to thinking of my, my good lady when she puts a, 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 a whatever, she, when she go, puts her hands into someone's mouth, it's, it's the best <laughs> practice. It's the best practice she's using, but when I'm standing in front of children, am I using the best practice? And it made me really kind of challenge my thinking and challenge my ideals. And then I decided that I wanted to talk to these people that wrote these books because mm. most of them were teachers or in teaching. And I thought, why not? And I started listening to podcasts myself. And then the first kind of coincided with a, a TEDx event we held at um, my previous school, TEDx Click Manager. Um, and then people were there. And I decided to create some, some uh, business cards and ask people and, some of the some of the first the early adopters of becoming educated spoke at TEDx Click Manager and are now well in the the what would you call it the the back catalogue of becoming educated and then since then it just rolled on I just kept reading books and after I read them I I would contact the author and said can I ask you some questions come on my podcast and then it just went from strength to strength and then during lockdown um, we got a we have a disclaimer we have no children yet so i had a little bit of time a little bit of time it was just me and my good lady in our house so mm. i'd use i'd use that to read even more and and ask even more questions and it's just enriched me and my teaching so much i i would go as far to say that i'm a completely different teacher to that what i was 
even three years ago. Yeah, so the, the book of, that you referred to was published in 2015, I think. So yeah, that's quite a quite a, a, a big transformation to kind of go from uh, not reading anything to actually just being uh, just so engrossed and so driven. And I think it's 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 uh, it's illustrates the, the the power of that book. I think I think the way in which and, and we're going to kind of speak about it a little bit more depth in the second part. But um, I think the idea that it's so I don't wanna, you know. It, it's accessible. I think that's what it is. And I think that's something that's happened to educational research, certainly over the last kind of five years, is that it has become more accessible. There has been a more, uh, a wider range of educational books uh, available and more accessible. You know, that kind of distilling the key points from all of the research. And, and I love what you said about the idea that you followed up the references within Making Every uh, Lesson Count as well, because, you know, those references are, uh, by and large, uh, references to academic papers, etc. But I, I kind of I feel the same in the way that when I'm reading a book and I do see a study, I, I, I it makes you it propels you into kind of finding out a little bit more about uh, where it's all come from. So I absolutely uh, concur with this idea that as soon as you get going, all you need is that one book, that one spark, and it really can um, you know fuel your 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 to use the word passion, I suppose, but fuel your desire for just this continuous self improvement. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so Fiona's texted in and said that she's looking forward to hearing from you. Hi, Fiona. If you'd like to call in, you've got any questions for Darren, do feel free. Um, and Jenny has also given you some feedback on your podcast saying that it is great. Um, you, you, you kind of answered a question partly there when I was, was how did you go about going, uh, getting guests? And, and was it simply the fact that you would read a book and as soon as you finished it, you would just then just contact the author and... and it- Yes, so it's, it's yeah. evolved over it's evolved over time. So initially, I just contacted them uh, on Twitter and mm. asked, or or I found their email, or they had something, and I just asked them, "Would you like to come on?" And it was it was very nerve wracking to start because I had nothing. Now I can now when I ask them what to come on, I send them a link to the podcast and say, "Here's yes. here's sixty here's sixty five shows of previous. <laughs> Look guests, at my back catalogue. <laughs> it's much easier." But in that early day, I was going attentively like, "I'm really interested in doing this. Would you be interested in speaking to me?" And at that time, I'd only ever listened to myself, uh, Nailers Natter, and Mister um, mm. Butter So I only knew of two. I mean, now there's there's many many podcasts. I'm some outstanding podcasts out there mm. on education. So at the time, I'd only heard myself two. I was ignorant of the rest and thought I'll add to that. And uh, guess get the, the guests are like people in education are so like we all know they're so fantastic. They they offer up their time to speak to me, and and so far, no one has ever said that they don't want to come on the podcast, which is it's really amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm so glad that you didn't say that you didn't want to come on the show. Actually, when I asked you, I reached out to you on Twitter as well, and here we are. So yeah, it's fantastic. And and you know, rarely do uh, we have in life, I guess. You know, teachers have you know, notoriously we live kind of quite um, isolate, almost in isolation. You know, because we kind of teach our lessons in classes of uh, of students, etc. Um, and having that kind of that network and that open discussion uh, to, to, to share uh, and to share our experiences and share our, our knowledge with each other etc you know we really you know like I said with the books and the same as you just said with the podcasts you know they just continue to to, to, to grow this this the, the, in breadth and depth in terms of under, uh, educational understanding and stuff so it can only be good it can only be good um, so last last question I guess on the podcast before we move on to, to, to looking at making every lesson count is uh, let's imagine we've got a few budding podcasters on the show uh, that would uh, be interested in getting going with their own podcast adding to the uh, to the pool of ones that exist already what would be your kind of couple of tips of advice for them to get going with their podcast um do your research and um, one of the big things that i like to do is make sure that i, I like to know what we're going to be talking about um, and i think kate jones has been quite kind and, and said that a few times been quite mm. complimentary about that i like to know what i'm talking about so i research thoroughly and uh, mm. send my my guests uh a script and I think that helps them and helps me frame the discussion which is interesting and also do your session into podcasting I'll share a little anecdote from when I first uh, started it was to be launched on the 6th of January in 2020 and I, and I did this whole kind of thing not very well mind you kind of campaign mm-hmm. on social media to say podcast is coming launched 6th of January at 6am and right. I, I thought I'd set it all up so I use a a podcasting host called Libsyn. I mean, there's other ones, Anchor, Podbean. There's mm. many, but I use Libsyn. Mm. And uh, you, you put it onto Libsyn, you put all your stuff, all the pictures, and then you just press publish. 
or you can schedule it to publish. So I schedule it all for 6 a.m. On a, on a Monday morning. And um, I'd went through all that, and then I was out walking my dog, like ready to find it on the podcast feed, and it wasn't coming, and it wasn't there. And I absolutely panicked. Me and the dog, we ran home to figure out what the problem was. <laughs> and it, it was because I hadn't done something. I hadn't validated my RSS feed with iTunes. Of course, of <laughs> course. So simple. <laughs> did, the, did the dog work out for you? <laughs> uh, I, it, took me, it took me a while. The dog was was totally unaware. Just like he was just running like beside me. He's like, oh yeah, I like this. I'll run. <laughs> um, Forgot to do that, so make sure you've you've got that aware. But once that's done, it's just a, a case of mm. doing it and, and doing yeah. putting in the work. I mean, it's it's a great thing to do. The, the people you can speak to is is just mm. tremendous. The the insights you can gain and the can people you can help. I mean, mm. I, I I do it for for somewhat selfish reasons uh, a lot of times, but it, it's amazing when people people comment or text me and say they took something from it if, if i can help just one person of every episode then yeah it's a, it's completely worth it and and there's so much more to talk about it's it's definitely worth doing yeah absolutely and and yeah i sort of agree with that as well the, the technical side is always uh, i think something which actually people feel a little bit kind of um intimidated about perhaps but as you mentioned there you listed a number of different platforms now that do make it uh that much easier to for, for people to record their voice and get it out there whether it be live or whether it be retrospectively um and and yes uh the the the, the, the great thing about our our um our field i guess is that there's just always something to talk about we, we're never going to complete the, the, the conversations are never done are they there's always going to be a multitude of, of of opinions a multitude of positions on particular things we and we see it in cycles don't we you see things come and go in in fashion out of fashion in terms of discussions you know we've had even on teachers talk radio we've had discussions about booklets very recently which is you know mm -hmm. four years ago they were being talked about so so it is just really phenomenal you can just get your hands on any get your teeth into any um uh, any particular thing which is being talked about at the time and and just have a have a good uh, good yarn about it great well that's absolutely fantastic thank you very much uh, for that darren uh, we're going to go to the uh, news very quickly and then we should be back and talking a little bit about making every lesson count look forward to it this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In a response to a surge of COVID-19 cases among students, Suffolk County Council has become the latest council to order masks for pupils and staff in its secondary schools. This announcement comes after head teachers in England called for the introduction of tougher national measures to combat infections. The Association of School and College Leaders stated that a survey of its members showed that 95% of head teachers felt that teaching and learning was being disrupted by COVID-related absences amongst pupils and staff. Suffolk Council's Director of Public Health told BBC Radio 4's Today programme that the virus is really working its way through the younger population at the moment. We have had around 7,300 pupils test positive in the last 28 days. If we can keep transmission rates down, we can also keep more pupils in school, while the vaccine is being run out for 12 to 15 year olds. According to a report in Engineering and Technology magazine, the Association of Colleges has written a joint letter to the COP26 President Boris Johnson, the Business Secretary and the Education Secretary, arguing that £1.5 billion is needed to transform classrooms and provide the equipment necessary to train people for green jobs. The AOC has asked for compulsory climate and environmental education and for greater investment through the National Skills Fund to meet demand in growth sectors such as offshore wind. 
The chief executive of the AOC, David Hughes, said, The role of education and skills in tackling the challenges to society posed by climate change must not be underestimated. The government's plans for the transition to net zero simply will not work without aligning education policy with climate and sustainability priorities. That includes embedding modules in all study courses. This has been your daily education news briefing. Thank you very much, Sir Gail. I was just thinking for each of those new news items, that's a, a theme of a podcast show in itself. Um, welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. This is the morning break. I am Dorian Brown, and you are joining us with Mr. Darren Len Leslie, the podcaster uh, extraordinaire. And we're going to be talking about, or have been talking about, uh, the uh, his journey with podcasting. Uh, and during that discussion, we talked about, uh, he, he referenced uh, the book Making Every Lesson Count by uh, Sean Allison and Andy Tharby, written in 2015, and how that really was the catalyst for his interest in education research and and Kaizen, or con this con this idea of continual improvement and doing things which uh, it just just make yourself a little bit better uh, every every year. Um, the, the one one thing just to sort of dance back on a second as well, which you talked about, was the fact that. Darren's good lady is a dentist and, and there's actually lots of parallels I think that we can draw with educational research and uh, research in the, the medical sector and I think Darren rightly sort of pointed out there that you know it's a lot more there seems to be a lot more traction a lot more reactionary in terms of the medical field when it comes to research than there has in education and and that's something I think to, 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 to reflect upon and think about why why is it that we're actually not getting as much you know why, why is it that learning styles are still kind of um, uh, are, are present even though there has been significant amount of research you know debunking them or, or at least kind of showing that investing time adjusting your lessons to, uh, to to cater for learning styles actually has no discernible outcome so um, yeah a, a question with no I guess I, I have no answer to but something perhaps maybe we could uh, we could uh, uh, chew over a little bit in our in our brains there um, so, so Darren, let's uh, let's dive back into uh, the uh, making every lesson count. Uh, would you like to just give us a quick overview for listeners that haven't read the book, uh, an idea of what the book is all about, and what, uh, yeah, sorry, of course, and, and why you think it's so important as well? Why it's oh, you've already kind of said that in a way. So, just give us an idea of what the book is about. Sorry. <laughs> of course, yeah, the book is is about the the six pedagogical principles that underpin the work at, at the school. Uh, at the school where I think Sean Allison is the director and Andy Tharby is a deputy. I might be wrong, but um, I know that they teach science and, and English respectively. I was on a course with, with Sean Allison a few days ago, so I'd, please forgive me if I got that wrong. Oh. <laughs> and they kind of explore what expert teaching is. And I think it was back in 2014, you can go back and read the original tweets that Sean Allison put out to try and piece together this framework um, for expert teaching. And I, and I really like it because they use it as their, as their six pedagogical principles at their school. And, and what's fascinating about that is that there's, it's still their pedagogical principles. And I think that's something that we can, we can learn a lot from. You know, schools jump from improvement plan to improvement plan with different things every year, whereas they've said, that's our six, this is it. And they've rolled with it. Uh, and their six are um, challenge, explanation, modelling, practice, questioning and feedback. And it's a beautiful diagram. If you haven't seen it, I'll tweet it out later. Um, mm. And I, I tweeted it out a couple of weeks back saying, because um, in my role, I'm trying to think of like, what is a great framework for, for teaching and learning? And you see lots, you see lots of yes. different ones that go out. But I, I'm, the more I've tried to make, design my own one and think of, take other people's and think, oh, that's really good. Mm. Uh, the more mm. I come back to this, this one from uh, Sean Allison and Andy Tharby, um, because mm. I think it really captures what expert teaching entails i mean we're only beginning to scratch the surface on, on teaching expertise really in terms of our research but i think using them as a guide for your practice to, to really hone in on certain elements for that continual improvement that kaizen you mentioned really really helps helps give us focus and and um, shapes what we what we want to improve 
Yeah, and I think what's also really good about it is that, and you, you, you said it yourself in a way, that you're trying to kind of shape your own one within your own school. Um, and I think we're kind of coming to this realization or this understanding that there isn't this kind of this one size fits all. There isn't this one thing which fits every educational institution. There's a, a myriad of different factors to have to consider when we are trying to kind of, you know, give our school its its identity and its in its culture. And so um I think I think why this particular one is good is because it is quite I don't want to say vague, but it, it's kind of it's there are umbrella terms, aren't they? And 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 whichever one you explore, you can do so to whatever length or extent that you feel that your individual school needs so you might you, you might mm-hmm. highlight one as being an area for development in one year you know and you know as as might says fewer things in, in greater depth isn't it making sure that you, yeah. you focus on getting that one one that one right and embedded um rather than just ticking it off and say yeah we did modeling this year you know make sure it becomes part of the fabric of the teaching and then you look at the next you look at the next one or the next one the following year or or, or whatever so yeah i agree i think it gives you that 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 framework which i think is is necessary to be able to kind of inform um strategy and development in school over time Um, so what we will do um, uh, is, is we'll take each of the, those. We'll take challenge, explanation, modeling, question, and feedback. And if you just for each one of them, uh, if we kind of want to tap into the experience that you've had, uh, the discussions that you've had with all of your guests on the shows, and I'm kind of probably asking a lot for you to go back and remember uh, <laughs> all of them, but um, wonder if there's any kind of any pearls of wisdom or any tips or tricks that you've gleaned from your guests uh, or anything about each of the, the, the six aspects that you've actually applied yourself uh, in the context in your role of, as teaching and learning lead, um, which would be kind of good as a kind of a little thread for people to kind of continue their own thinking or their own discussion sort of beyond the, the, the podcast. So give us a, uh, so let's, so let's start with challenge. Um, you know, uh, if I just kind of, Something very recently I was reading on the on I think it was on one of the Inner Drive uh, research paper research um, uh, posters actually, and it was about this uh, Pygmalion effect. You know this high this idea of having high expectations, high challenge, and high support. Um, and I think that's what that first one really encapsulates quite well, isn't it? Students have high expectations of what they can achieve. So, what are your thoughts on that one? No, it's great that you referenced the, the Pygmalion effect because that's a really interesting one um, for people to, to look at, um, especially because the the uh, the researchers Rosenthal and Jacobson termed the children, I think it was spurters, they, they termed them, which is quite, which is quite funny. <laughs> um, so that's where they, they told a teacher. So they had X amount of children. They told a teacher that these six, seven, eight children were, were spurters. They were going to be high yes. achievers. And they mm. tracked the, the kids over time. And, and the teacher's approach to that, those children was different. Mm. They gave them much more support, more time, more scaffolding, more help than they might have might have done for kind of those they perceived to be low achievers. And I think that's something very important to start with. That um, challenges to, to um, for all students. We want to need to believe that all students can meet our our expectations, and, and those expectations need to be high, um, mm. because we we want children to to succeed, to be able to read, write. Um, mm-hmm. think deeply and all that and, and we can really help them and if we start and I think that's what's most fascinating about starting with challenge and this thinking mm. you know that the high expectations and and we want students to in that we want students to believe that they can achieve and I think to the starting point for for any sort of challenge is to is to go back to your curriculum and I had a great mm. chat with with Josh Valance around around curriculum, and I know that curriculum yes. is very it's very in vogue um, <laughs> just now. But if and, and I just spoke recently with Bruce Robertson, and he talks about curriculum, which is an exciting development for the discussions here in Scotland um, about being specific about what you want to teach, and then choosing the pedagogy you want to teach them, because mm. the curriculum really frames the level of challenge that you. Are going to provide the students mm. because you can then choose the curriculum to based on the the um, where you want the students to go, no matter of their starting point. And then it comes mm. into the other parts of the explanation, modelling, and, and feedback to be to that idea of responsive teaching. But having that high expectations of the students, but also high expectations of the teachers for this idea of quality first teaching, because in our teaching we want to get children into to this to what you 
call the, the, the struggles when outside there. Just a little bit outside. The Goldilocks principle, I think, is what yes, Jones, yeah. Kate, Des, Kate Jones... Desirable difficulties. Is that, yeah, is that, Kate Jones that, calls yes. it in a podcast. Yes, desirable difficulties. We use that to, yeah. to help them. But um, if we have that deep, uh, coherent, sequential cumulative curriculum hmm. that shapes what to teach, we can then decide how we're going to teach them. And I think... Um, Another useful thing in the, in the teachings I've taken from books by Doug Lamov, and I, I think it was, I think it was David Dido in the podcast that spoke about this about what students think about is mm. important. So, so challenge has probably got as much to do with what students think about in the lessons yes. compared to what they do in lessons. So, if like, if a, a good task to do is to observe a colleague teach a lesson and consider what are the students thinking about at each moment in the lesson. So if we have, if we've specified the content we want to teach them, we understand the pedagogical approach we want to use, and then we've decided upon tasks and questions we're going to ask, how are we managing students' thinking? Mm. So once we've got that that challenge right in the, in the curriculum and then pedagogy we're going to use, how are we going mm. to manage the students' thinking? And, I think that's a, a really, really important one and, and kind of tips that, that um, I spoke about with Bruce Robertson recently is, is about, you know, a, a single challenge and learning objective, which allows us to then plan for tasks and activities that will make students think hard, you know, our questioning, our cold calling, our turning talks, our, our writing prompts will make students think hard and, and use that scaffolding um so that even when you're supporting students to, to, with that, with a scaffold, with a, a writing prompt, or a, um, mm. to, you're just questioning them. You're you're making them think and not giving them yes. the answer. You're still still uh, you're still breaking it down to get the students sure. to think. And I think that's a useful way to to think about it. With challenge being as, as much to do with what the students think about is is what they do because you want the students to wrestle with the, the yes. material and, and concepts that we teach them. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, because learning is de- is for sure not, not a passive uh, activity, is it? And, and it harks back to the, to, to the memory as a residue of thought, isn't it? You know, you need to make sure that you're, um, like you exactly as you said, the pedagogy that you use is um, uh, powerful enough to, to make every student think. And that means, you know, if you refer to things like ratio, you've already spoken about sort of Lamov and I know um, Adam Boxer did a really good uh, video on ratio as well for, I think, one of the research ed sessions. So making sure that your, your cold calling or your questioning is pitched in a way that uh, every single student in that classroom is being challenged to think um, and, and extend. Um, and I've, I've done a couple of shows uh, with some uh, P for C advocates, and I, and I, and that, uh, as you were speaking just then, it really made me think about you know when you're looking at sort of po- philosophy for children, um, that you know, and 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 the, the, that pedagogy really is, is exactly that. It is honing in on critical thinking skills and offering a sense of of challenges, challenging students to take something uh, and think critically about it. And 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 like I said, that's that sweet spot, that challenge, that that. Um, the, that you're pitching something where, whereby everybody, no, no matter their attainment level, uh, are able to access it and and, and push their learning forward. Um, so how does uh, so how does explanation uh, feed into this? So one thing that we perhaps maybe didn't sort of say at the start on the diagram, when you if you sort of tweet it out later, uh, is that these things are kind of inter 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 uh, linked with each other as well. And obviously, the the extent of our explanation is influenced by the, the the challenge that we've set in our curriculum, as you rightly said. So so where do we go with explanation? I think with with explanation, it, it's it's. <laughs> kind of interesting to, to point out that, that you know I'm I'm guilty of it um, on a weekly basis that not all explanations we give are good explanations. So how can mm. we improve? How can we improve that? And um, a useful thing to do is to how often do we prepare for our explanations? There's a really great blog uh, post on the HWRK magazine. I don't know if people call it homework magazine or HWRK. I don't actually know. Right. <laughs> um, from Michael Childs around about preparing for your explanations and. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Big Lamov talks about um, double planning and exemplar planning is how often do we really sit down and, and craft an explanation? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm currently teaching um, corrective mathematics, one of uh, Sigfrid Engelman's direct instruction programs. And mm. he's, he's thought incredibly deeply about communication and how, what effective communication looks like. I mean, these are scripted yeah. lessons. But, so much, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm I'm 45 lessons deep of the mathematics and I, I'm starting to really understand the, the level of detail that he went into that. And it's, it's really causing a, a vast improvements with students. And then I kind of bring this on to this idea of, of attention. Um, Mike Hobbes did a wonderful talk on, on attention and how important yes. our attention is. And, and I think getting students' attention when we explain it is important. And Bruce Robertson, um, spoke about this idea of direct interactive instruction. And I really like that term because Mm. people get confused. People, the critics of direct instruction often talk about teacher talk. And I don't know if you remember, like back in the days when teachers were timed on their Mm. their talking. Yes. um, You know, I always talk about the difference between teaching and lecturing. You know, when you teach something, you might explain it clearly. You might have a, a 30 seconds to 60 second instruction phase but then you'll back that up with call and response cold call checks for understanding what have you understood um i think that's really important to to highlight that and you know with the explanation we we kind of know that that minimal guidance is is less effective than fully guidance we're beginning to know um and the papers by uh kirshner kirshner and sweller and clark and so on but about minimal guidance and we're starting to know a little bit about explicit instruction and, and so on and there's some keen advocates for that you know greg ashman and yes and uh, the likes and i find that quite interesting rosenshine is 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 interesting one to, to go back to i mean rosenshine talks about effective teachers present new material in, in short bursts and what yeah. was really interesting in the rosenshine paper is that um, expert maths teachers, one of these quotes, expert maths teachers spend 23 minutes explaining and guiding this direct instructive instruction during a lesson. And the, poor, the, the poorer teachers, are kind of, I don't think that's the terminology he uses. <laughs> um, I, can't, I can't remember the terminology. The, the less the less expert teachers. The um, novice, we're yeah. Only, yeah, we're only spending, sorry, novice, we're only spending... <laughs> 11 minutes so that's you know that's a, a long time that 12 minutes difference of mm. explanation is really really important but it's the quality of explanation on that as well because obviously you could talk for 21 minutes and not actually explain very well <laughs> yeah. like returning back to your point at the start and yeah i love how i mean all of this is kind of intertwined with this with with, with, cog- with our cognitive architecture isn't it you say you know hobbes is quote I think was that attention is the gateway to cognition and uh, uh, but and it's also limited as well you know so it's something uh, which we all have to be mindful of and I'm not sure whether as teachers we are as mindful of you know in terms of the the, the science of uh, you know the the, the working memory etc um, but something I've sort of taken on from that as I actually started sort of teaching that kind of aspect of the memory model to the students as well so that they can be a little bit more aware of what their of their limited working memory and so that they can actually break down their own tasks for themselves um, I think it was um, in terms of the the explanation you know the scripted explanations as well I think uh, Mark Enser spoke um, about that in making every lesson oh, sorry not making every lesson count um, teach like nobody's watching uh, and he mm-hmm. said the you know the idea of you, you plan your, your, your explanation to the letter and then when you deliver it, you, you've got it in front of you and when you deliver it, you, you make the tweaks and the changes and the improvements and when you come, you know, then, then questions come, you know, new questions are added. So over time, you've got this kind of like evolving um, uh, script of how you explain, you know, not necessarily every single thing, but I guess certain concepts which perhaps maybe you uh, realize are complex um, So uh, and then have to, like you said with Rosatine, have to break those things down smaller. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that also made me think when you, were, when you were saying that there is that, you know, it also actually depends on the, I guess, the, the cognition of your, of your students as well. Because mm-hmm. if you've been working with a particular class for maybe two or three years and you, you know, you've got them uh, in, this, in this place where you, they, they understand that uh, they 
that the importance of attention and the importance of breaking down, then can, then can you level up? I guess you can't add more things because that's going to kind of add to the sort of extra, you know, the, the cognitive load, but certainly you become more efficient in what you do. Mm-hmm. I think certainly, and, and it's there, I mean, kind of, it's important to to note about like prior knowledge and building on prior knowledge. I think it's Ed Hurst that talks about knowledge begets knowledge, and, and what students already mm-hmm. know provides that uh, thre- toehold on. I think it's what Willingham says that what they already know provides a toehold on understanding any new material. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I find fascinating when I spoke with uh, Sean Allison. Um, they do subject planning and development sessions, which, which I think are so fascinating. They kind of changing our views on what a, a department meeting entails, right? Taking away kind of less on admin and more on teaching. And they spoke about, and I spoke about it with Mark Jesnick on my podcast. Mark Jesnick spoke about mm. um, intellectual preparation yes. for your class for your classes. And, and Doug Moore's changed his chapter two from lesson planning to lesson preparation, which I find so fascinating as an idea. And and they and and go back to Sean Allison's subject plan development sessions. They they look at as a team, you know, what are we teaching and, and how do we teach it well? And if we go back to this idea of expert and novice teachers, you know, if I'm um, an English teacher about to teach Macbeth and I've I didn't read Macbeth in my degree, but my colleague who's been teaching for fifteen years knows Macbeth inside out and in the back of their hand, they can mm. they can support me in scripting explanations for yes. certain parts and, and we can work together and, and kind of hone our explanations. It was interesting what you said there about what Mark Enter said, you know, you, you script you, what you, you script and when you speak it, it's like there was a quote in Douglas Mov's uh, Teach Like a Champion 3.0, which I'm reading just now, that I just read yesterday around about students writing and then you ask them to, to, to write down it was, it was about asking them to do some formative writing before you cold call so you ask a question you get them to write down for 60 seconds and then you cold call and he was mentioning what they actually say to you is their second draft yeah so it's similar to what you what you were saying there so if you script your explanation what you're actually delivering to the students is your second draft and we know this idea in practice you know ron berger's um kind of critique model um if you, well, that second draft is going to be better, so you improve on it time and, and time again. And you mentioned there you, your questions change and they get sharper mm. and better over time, but you need that base and practice that explanation. You know, if I think back to my yeah. own career, how often have I stood in front of a class and just explained something and perhaps suffering from the, the curse of the expert? You know, I, I know mm. the, the terminology for badminton, for example, but do my students. And do they know that what all the white lines mean? You know, I just rather than assuming, I need to break that down and go right mm. to the bottom and, and script to my explanations. And I find when I started doing that, my explanations got much clearer and much sharper, and the, mm. the students were a little were much more engaged. And I, I kind of would instruct for a bit. I'd be kind of clear and specific, and then I would call call, and then I would ask them to turn and talk and then I would kind of lead in another discussion then I would introduce a new bit so that's small steps and I think that's a that's a really fascinating insight it it really is it really is fascinating yes uh, yeah sorry um sorry to interrupt um I'm just sort of saying what it is fascinating and and the issue that I think we all have to reflect upon when we're planning and preparing is is that you know our words are ephemeral right so when we say stuff uh we have to either write it somewhere or prompt or have it written somewhere or prompt it you know there's these extra things that we have to think about you know a lot of the time i think we assume that because we've said something it just sticks and and it doesn't Mm -hmm. uh and and yes so so planning the explanations but also how we're going to um deliver that explanation Mm -hmm. is something which you know we all have to look at Definitely. Doug and Mauve just released a, a blog on uh, that exemplar plan. And, the, and one thing you'll notice if you do watch the, do purchase the TLAC and watch the videos is that most mm. of the teachers are carrying a clipboard. Mm. And on that clipboard is often what they want their exemplar planning. Their, they've maybe got the work that the students will do and they've worked out themselves. Um, you know, for example, I do the, I do the work 
for the because I'm, I'm kind of learning as I go with the direct instruction in mathematics. I'm doing the work and I'm carrying that around with me, so I see, I can easily see where the the students are making an error, and I can quickly fix that because I can say, "Oh, you didn't carry that number, or you didn't do that," and you notice that in the videos. And I think that's fascinating because what we often don't consider is us as teachers, our own working memory. Yes, you know, classrooms are classrooms can be. You know, they're, they're so full of, of so many things, you know, 30, 30 students and lots of discussion, lots of bits of paper, lots of things, mm. uh, the wind. <laughs> um, yeah. So if, uh, the, the, the deeper we've planned our explanation and, and even going as deep as to, you know, I'm going to say this, I'm going to cold call, but I'm going to cold call Dorian or I'm going to cold call Darren mm. at this point because they were they showed misconceptions last lesson. So I really want to get here from them today and, and so on when I'm going to do a turn and talk or when I'm going to ask them to do a little bit of formative writing. I think the deeper we've planned, the easier our working memories then, the more likely our working memories then given to kind of what um, the Dixon's Academy called hunting, not fishing. When you're, when you're working around the classroom, you're hunting for good answers to, to, cat, to kick off the next discussion mm-hmm. rather than fishing like for that. discussions. Of. I like that. That's a lovely way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> really insightful. Um, Darren, we could talk. We, I, I, I mean, we could talk for a very long time about this. And, and I'm just looking. At, we, are, we are hurtling very quickly towards the end of the hour. Um, so um, I am going to kind of skip over the last three. Although I think that we have actually made some reference to sort of modelling, questioning, and feedback uh, during during our discussion <laughs> on challenge and explanation. There, um, Jenny sort of texted in to say uh, that. Uh, it's very interesting that they're often told not to do much talking. And I think this is something which actually does very much uh, uh, is, is, is perpetuated. It, it does still exist, all of these kind of things. And you referred earlier about, you know, timing people's uh, talking and stuff. I think these things do still. But it, but it was really nice to see on the Teacher Tap app the other day how a, a, lar- a large majority of, of, of lessons are now not graded. That seemed to, that, that was really positive. So it seems that th- the tide is changing. We are making baby steps. I suppose uh, towards these things and I think if we continue to talk about these things if we continue to to challenge them and continue to try to look for um, research which helps to support what we're doing I think that can only uh, improve um, Jenny also said as well actually when she finishes the explanation she often finds that uh, she starts an explanation with another group um, sort of spinning plate so she'll have perhaps maybe a couple of different co- uh, discussions going on in, in, in groups and then mm-hmm. uh, and then she said she'll need to try hunting for answers there as well um, right um, a couple of a couple of things I'd like to, to also uh, sort of talk with you about uh, just before we go there Darren so we'll just have a quick ad break and then we'll be back in a couple of minutes need support with your phonics teaching did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. 
Thank you very much, Les. Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. We are hurtling towards the end of our interview here with uh, Mr. Darren Leslie. Um, and so the, we've, we've talked about his journey through podcasting. We've also had a discussion about the uh, Making Every Lesson Count book, etc. as well. Uh, and now we are going to just kind of come to the end of the show where I'm going to, to do what I'm, I'm sure everyone's tuning in to listen to. I'm now going to turn the tables on, on Mr. Leslie himself and ask him what he asks every one of his guests at the end of the show, which is the final free or the quick fire round. Um, so now I know there's been a couple of uh, in different incarnations of these questions over, the, over time, but I'm going for the three which I think that I really would like to know the answer to. Um, <laughs> Um, and so here we go. <laughs> I think uh, I've already know that I foolishly call them a quick fire, but most guests, most guests yes. don't take that very seriously. <laughs> yes, I said, you almost have to kind of say, right, in two sentences, how would you? But then even then, that, that will still end up to people taking paragraphs, I assume. <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, the first one uh, for you. And, and the thing is as well, you've had, uh, as you said, 70 odd people answer these questions. So you're actually, you're answer, you've had a lot of time to kind of think uh, about your... <laughs> about what you think about these things. Um, so the first one is, uh, Darren, what makes great teaching? I think for me, it's being both evidence-informed and practice-based. And that helps you then do what works best so that your students succeed. I think it's, it's important that and we do, as a profession, engage with the evidence around um, educational research, cognitive science, you know, and Dylan William does say things like, you know, everything works somewhere, but nothing works everywhere and so on. Yeah. But there are, but I think it was also Dylan William that coined the idea of best bets. I might be wrong. I think it might be um, Lee Elliott Major and, and Steve Higgins that coined that um, best yeah. bets. But there are some best bets that we can do and we can get better at honing our, our, our practice because inevitably the better we get, um, the better the outcome for the students become. And I think that's the, 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 the thing. People say keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is our, our students succeeding. We want our students to succeed in our subjects and our schools. We want them to to feel that, that school is the place for them. And, you know, Pets McRae's work on motivation is, is quite fascinating and about this success leads to motivation. You know, if I spin it around on my, my podcast, it felt good doing my podcast, so I kept doing it. And mm. I, and you get better at it over, over time. And the same happens with most things. You know, I take another analogy from my life, golf. You know, two years ago, my golf was horrendous, but now my golf is somewhat good for where I am. But it's because I felt success and I felt improvement. And the same is with our students, with the reading, writing, and science, and history, and so on. Yeah, and I, I think that leads, that that kind of myth, that kind of uh, motivation leads to success is it's skewed, isn't it? It's, it's the other way around. Is it exactly as you said, said there? I think Kirshner and um, uh, Carl Hendrick had that in their in, in their book uh, regarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it students have to sort of taste a bit of success first, and then that motivates um, them to do to, to do better and, and and be more engaged. So um, yeah, I like that, and, and I think that Kate uh, uh, TTRs. Uh, very own Kate Jones as well also tweeted out a uh, a uh, what do you call them? It's it's hit. It's just escaped my head. Three overlapping circles. Then uh, <laughs> a Venn diagram. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> evidence informed, practice based, and then the other one is kind of knowing your your class and you know the environment etc. Mm -hmm. as well. So the overlap, you know, that sweet spot in between those three those three circles is uh, perhaps maybe exactly what you just said there about why well, expect great teaching. Great. Uh, so. Uh, question number two: uh, What one thing would you prioritise to bring about great teaching? Uh, a relentless focus on high quality teaching, uh, and doing that through uh, policies, culture, um, affording time. I mean, it, it would need a, a lot, but I think if we if we spent more time, you know, if you. I, I'm intrigued by by what other cultures do, in, in you know Scottish teachers. I, I can't I don't, English probably exact same, but Scottish teachers. Mm. There was an article in Artes a couple of years ago by Kenny Piper that we have the highest contact time in the developed world. Our average is about twenty two or twenty three hours per week in front of students, mm. whereas those in Japan 
spend. I guess I think their average at the time. It might be. I might change now. Is about thirteen hours, and they spend um, um, a lot. The other of time. half planning. Yeah, planning yeah. and they collaborate. They go to masterclass. One of the most fascinating things I've seen on it, and I've and was, or I think I've heard it. I can't remember where I heard it. It was perhaps um, on Lucy Crean's Cleverlands. They will go to uh, see a master teacher after ten. I think it's after ten to thirteen years. You you can become a master teacher, um, and you go to this this hall where a teacher's hooked up to video and so on, and they all watch this teacher teach and, and pick it apart, <laughs> and, and that focus on on teaching. Really, really excites me and and really motivates me and and to talk about teaching. You know, I put a, a little poll out on Twitter a couple of weeks back about how often do you talk about the you know the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts of, of classroom mm. practice. When you're going to do this, when you're going to do that, and that was quite quite interesting because I got the results I expected that 10% of teachers said they did and 90% teachers said they didn't have enough time to do that. And I think that's a real shame for our, for our profession because when, in every school, the thing that happens the most is teachers teaching children. Yes. But often oftentimes that's not the main discussion, but if we were to focus like purely on, on high-quality teaching, it mm. could be, I think the tagline to Bruce Robertson's first book is um, how a focus on teaching can improve almost everything in a school mm. yeah absolutely and, and and that that yeah for sure i think that and the, the wording there the relentless focus on high quality teaching does kind of come it fa- sounds like it's quite low, low loaded it sounds difficult you know relentless you know I, so I, I do absolutely agree with it but i think that yeah we need i, I wonder if you you're aware of that i um had some uh, some American colleagues about sort of five, six years ago, and I was completely unaware that American teachers have to kind of recertify or something every four every four years. I might I might be completely wrong there, but it dawned on me that, that you know, as sort of UK-based trained teachers, we qualify and then that's it. And then we look at the, the research that's just done that, you know, teachers improve rapidly in the first four years and then plateau. And we ask ourselves, mm-hmm. why is that? And if mm-hmm. we aren't actually, if we don't have something like the, you know, American recertification uh you know where they have to actually write and do some research themselves and and, and write write an essay or something. Uh, if we don't have something like that in place, then how can we um, relentlessly pursue uh, uh, improvement amongst teachers? It's a it's a really interesting uh, uh, thing with the system because every other profession, you know, every other profession, I think, you know, has this uh, this kind of renewal of, uh, of 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 proficiency or certainly, I guess, I'm talking about CPD now, aren't I? But it's kind of like, but, but it's it's not always. Yeah. In, in Scotland, we do have uh, what's called a professional update, where every five years right. you have to submit submit your professional learning to the GTCS um, from your professional update. Now, I do think it could be more robust and a, and a more a bigger focus on teaching rather than all the things around teaching. It was interesting. And uh, one thing I found really fascinating is that I, I interviewed Josh Goodrich for the podcast, and that will be out in, mm. in two weeks' time or two, three weeks' time. I think it's two weeks' time. Right, and, right. and his most recent blog, uh, Change versus Stasis, The Tension at the Heart of Teacher Development, begins with a quote from, from Dylan William. And I'd never heard this quote. And it's quite uh, <laughs> it's hard-hitting, but I find it quite interesting. And he says, this job you're doing is so hard that one lifetime isn't enough to master it. So every single one of you needs to accept the commitment to carry on improving our practice until we retire or die. That is the deal. (laughs) I I don't think I need to say uh, or die. You can finish that uh, until we retire. But I think yes. that's the, the, the bit. Whichever you know, comes um, first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope to retire long long before I die. Uh, yeah. Well, if it happens during the lesson, it's what you would have wanted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what he would have wanted. It died what he, he died what he loved doing. Uh, oh, gosh. Well, what, uh, uh, the show's about to die, and I feel that's probably not the best place to leave it at there. But <laughs> I, I think I agree that we need this starting point. And, and I love that kind of collegial kind of... Uh, we're all in the same role we're all in the same team and we're all trying to you know uh, push things forward drive things forward knowing full uh-huh. well that we're never going to be done we're never going to complete teaching it's never going to be complete um 
Darren, one, I, I think I'm going to limit this answer to this last question to just one sentence. If you could just change one thing in education, what would that be? Take a serious look at our accountability structures. <sighs> okay. Serious look at our accountability structures. Darren, I've, you know, the time has absolutely flown. I'm, I feel that if we had the time, uh, we could have gone on for, for, for a few hours there, but I appreciate that everyone's got their days to be getting on with. Um, so I just want to thank you really from the bottom of my heart for coming on to the show and, and agreeing to come on to the show because I really do sort of, I, I've enjoyed all of your podcasting. Uh, I've, uh, it, has, it has absolutely added value to my teaching. It's made me think, and I'm sure it absolutely has done to many of our listeners as well. So I wanted to thank you from myself, but also from the, from the teaching community for, for your services to pedagogy. Um, and, 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 long, and, and long may that continue. Um, and perhaps maybe one day I might be able to kind of tempt you to come back on the show uh, and we can, have, we can choose something else to talk about. <laughs> certainly, certainly. I'd, I'd enjoy that it's been it's been uh, it's been <laughs> I was quite nervous to start with but it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much Tony. it's a, a fantastic as soon as you start talking the microphone just seems to melt away doesn't it and we just have a good old chat <laughs> as if we were just sat in the staff room brilliant <laughs> <It's certainly laughs> fantastic thank you so much again Darren and thank you everybody for tuning in we'll see you next week take care You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.